0: Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you're having a great week I hope you're having a great month, the month of August, potentially getting ready to go back to school, whether that's actually in person or just sitting at home still. I hope you're all safe, happy, and healthy. Now, last week, we got a lot of great feedback from our great guest, Dr. Tade Ayeni. This week, we have another amazing guest, a medical student who wrote to me and wanted to talk about her journey to medical school with chronic health issues and actually developed or discovered another chronic health is- issue actually during medical school, during one of her exams where they were testing some stuff. And, and she was like, oh, wait a minute, that's not normal. We dive into her story and a lot more. We talked to Vicky today, a Canadian medical student, about her journey to medical school. Vicky, welcome to the Prima Years. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: When did you know that you wanted to be a physician?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. (laughs) But I had always wanted to be a physician. I was plagued by insecurity and didn't really think I could do it. Um, It's really competitive here in Canada, so it was hard to convince myself that I could. Um, but it would have to be that like really solidified the idea that I was going to go to medicine would be like in the end of 2015, beginning of 2016.
0: And what happened then?
1: Um, so I was diagnosed with an autoimmune chronic pain condition, um, originally diagnosed as fibromyalgia by a doctor who was really rude in my appointment where he diagnosed me. I was 25 at the time. So um, and I was planning on going to medicine. I was studying for the MCAT and he told me that I, in that appointment, that I should marry rich if I wanted to improve my <laughs> chronic pain.
0: And be- because wealth it improves health outcomes. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I really can't get there. I've tried. Like, I, I think he was trying to be funny maybe, but it didn't, it, it <laughs> didn't, was not the right time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was not funny.
0: Yeah. Um, Misogyny mostly isn't funny.
1: (laughs) It's very true. (laughs) And honestly, like he just said a whole bunch of like awful things. He said he didn't know any doctors or any lawyers who had fibromyalgia, which is just not true. Like there are lots of them out there. Um, But it was really devastating to me in that time. I was already suffering through pain. And then this appointment from this doctor that was supposed to help me really just devastated me. And I decided that I needed to put my MCAT books away for a while. So I really decided at that point that I wanted to quit um, and not pursue medicine. I looked into law school. I looked into pharmacy. I was just looking into everything else um, that someone hadn't told me I couldn't do.
0: Yeah.
1: And my sister said something that really stuck with me. She said, like, Vicki, no one told you that you couldn't be a doctor but no one told you that you could be a doctor either so she just like really framed it like it was my choice what i wanted to do yep and i got sicker before i got better and that was also really hard because i wasn't sure that i was even going to make it through the winter semester in 2016 but i rallied and i managed to make it through and that really solidified the fact that i wanted to be a good doctor for a patient who was in my position (laughs) And it seems sort of small, but like, I just always told myself, like, if I could help one patient and treat them with dignity and like not even save their life, but just when a patient's faced with an impossible circumstance to just really be there with them and make a difference for them in that moment, Mm. then like this whole journey would be worth it. And so like, I think that's really what made my decision for me is just like, I could be better than the doctor I saw.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, It's interesting because there are a lot of students who have very similar stories of just doctors treating them poorly or their families poorly. And that being a motivation for I'm going to I'm going to prove that you're bad and I'm going to be a better doctor than you. And I actually don't recommend students go down this path just for that reason. But it sounds like you were on this path before then. And that just gave you a little bit more motivation to actually get in gear and, and finish up what you needed to finish up. Well, you you had mentioned that the the kind of desire was always there. Why, why do you think the desire was was there early on to be a physician?
1: I think again, like mostly experience within the healthcare system with family members and just really seeing how I really liked the team atmosphere of medicine, how you're never like the doctors making decisions, but they're never making decisions alone. Mm. Um, And then I think again, like a big part of it is just, I've always really wanted to work with people in a capacity to be able to advocate for them as well as support them in the moment. And so I think that that's always been really important is finding something where I'm able to make sort of public health and bigger changes as well as focusing on helping individuals. Yeah. It was always a really good fit.
0: Yeah. As you're going through this pre-med process in Canada, looking at the Canadian medical school system, looking at how kind of provincial all of the medical schools are. Most of the medical schools are really for, for students listening to this in the States, very, very much a public school. So, so public schools um, want students in their own States, very similar to the schools in Canada where they want students from their own province as you were looking through this process and going, okay, there's not a lot of medical schools in Canada and here's what the stats look like. What, what even, as your sister said, what gave you the permission to go, Oh, I can do this.
1: Oh, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I told myself that I would just keep going until someone told me that I couldn't or kicked me out. Um, and I'm halfway through med school now. So no one's told me that yet. (laughs) Um, but it was really just, like, uh, statistics are really rough in Canada. So, like, I tried not to get too bogged down in the details. Um, Saskatchewan's a relatively easy or an easier province to get accepted in compared to, like, um, Ontario or B.C. Um, and I applied to three... Well, I applied to four medical schools, but I messed up my application for one, which is always devastating. But, anyways, um, and I think that I just decided that I was going to try. And the worst that happened was they were going to say no, and I could consider applying to the States because there's way more options there, Mm -hmm. or I could try again in Canada, just continuing to work on my application. Time wasn't something that I was super worried about, especially given all of my health concerns. like I always looked at time as just being more time to sort of get my life together before starting medicine. Um, Yeah, I don't know if that answered
0: your question. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about being a pre-med student?
1: Probably the self-doubt and putting myself out there. I think that I was really convinced I'd never actually get an application submitted for the fear of someone saying no um, which I think is pretty common among pre-meds, is just like the fear of judgment and the fear of failure
0: mm-hmm. when you're when you're in those moments what what gets you through because so many people including myself and and you it sounds like have these moments whether it's imposter syndrome of like why should I do this I'm not the smartest i'm I'm gonna Uh, I'm going to kill someone, right? As a doctor, you potentially have that risk. Like I can't save anyone and, and people are going to be hurt by me and I I can't do this. And, and there's better people. How do you, how do you overcome that self-doubt and, and those, those voices in your head?
1: (laughs) It's a work in progress. Um, I'm like in third year, we move into clerkship where we're in the hospitals and where I'm at, we're able to write patient orders, which is super stressful. So I'm really close to that place. Um, But I think that the, it's hard. Like, I think part of it is obviously being prepared, especially when moving into like patient care situations. But a lot of it is just reminding myself that it's anxiety and it is imposter syndrome. It's all of these things that are really common sort of, Tricks that your brain plays on you. And it's good to remind yourself of that. I really like the fake it till you make it thing. That's how I face OSCEs, which are our practical exams, because Mm -hmm. they're always terrifying. And you read the prompt and you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do when I walk into that room. And then you just do it.
0: You just do (laughs) it. And you're
1: like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Um, And I really like you, really get better at things. And so I think just keeping that perspective always is looking back and thinking, oh, I thought that I couldn't write the MCAT or I thought I couldn't do an mmi or multi multiple mini interview style interview for med school and now like that's all oski's are are just these rooms that you walk into and it's way more natural so yeah,
0: yeah. it's it's definitely a a work in progress it's it's funny that the how you mentioned, right, standing out there at the OSCE, like reading the scenario going, I can't do this. It's the same conversation that I have with students when they're preparing for their interviews, whether it's an MMI or a traditional interview. And I say the the goal of doing mock interview prep, right, the, the to to practice an interview isn't to prove that you can answer every question. Uh, or in, in the case of the OSCE, it's not to prove that you know how to take a proper history and physical for every diagnosis that's going to come through the door. The goal is to prove to yourself that you can handle anything that comes through your door. Not every, but any. And just knowing that you have enough knowledge to work through it, and not necessarily be 100% right, but work through it to a certain extent to get to get through it.
1: Yes. I think the process of it is way more important than actually knowing all those teeny tiny details yes. that you get bogged down with The process. Really easily.
0: Yes. And, and when you go through that process, like three steps down the line, you're like, oh crap, I forgot a step. And that's fine. You remembered it just now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's how they teach us. They're like, if you have a process, then when you forget things, you'll remember you forgot them. <laughs> and I'm like, that makes sense, but it also doesn't. <laughs>
0: It makes sense but it also doesn't. That's med school. That's med school yes. right there for you in a th- in in one that, that's going to be a shirt. It makes sense but it doesn't. That's awesome. Um for like we have lots of uh, friends from up north listening uh, who want to go to school in Canada, who want to stay in Canada. Y- you made it, you stayed in Canada. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for students who want to go to a Canadian school to, to get into a Canadian school?
1: Ooh, it's hard. Definitely know the province that you're living in in terms of what that medical school expects. I think as Canadians, we get a ton of advice from American students and things are just so different here. Um, Even just province to province, like UBC's medical application is or medical school application is totally different compared to the University of Saskatchewan, um, where there's sort of, I would say, UBC is more similar to the, the states where you need like activity descriptions and you need a written essay and things like that. Whereas the University of Saskatchewan is way more numbers based, you need sort of GPA, MCAT scores, um, things like that. And so I think just knowing what the requirements are for where you're going and also like consider applying to the states. Like, don't I don't think like I know it's easy to really want to stay in Canada, but the numbers aren't great. And so I think if you don't have a competitive enough GPA or MCAT score, if you can't improve on those or you want to get in faster, then I think you have to sort of open up your options.
0: Yeah. You got to slum it down here with us. Please, <laughs> please help us. We need, we need friendlier people down here. Oh man. Um, <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about, right. Going through this process with a chronic condition a chronic illness. Um, a, a lot of students may may doubt not only just their their brain smarts to get through this, but just their longevity and their their energy to get through this, whether they're dealing with chronic illness or not. Um, how from from a mindset perspective, how are you going day to day? Number first thing, right? number one, making sure that you're taking care of yourself uh and then number 2 making sure that that you are are doing what you need to do to to learn and get through the day so at the end of the day you can take care of patients
1: yeah so that's something that's been and all o- again everything's ongoing like i think that the idea that as a pre med you're going to be a complete picture as a medical student and you're never going to improve is obviously silly um i i so I guess there's two parts to it. I mean, part of it is definitely that balance and recognizing that I can't study if I don't look after my physical health. Um, and that's just really clear to me. So taking breaks when I need them and recognizing, I think that my drive to be successful is always going to be there. And if I'm needing to take a break, sometimes I feel like I'm lacking motivation and it's easy to guilt myself about that. Um, but I've learned that it's important to listen to my body regardless of how my brain feels. Um, And then really, I think reaching out for help and not being afraid of managing things with other people because other people can really sort of help
0: Mm.
1: both keep on track. And like when I miss class or things like that, it is easier if I have support for sure.
0: Yeah. When, when, for For the states here specifically, right? we 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 talk about medical schools like drinking from a fire hose, right? There's just so much information and you have to do it all. I'm assuming that's the way it is in Canada as well. There's just so much to learn and so little time. How is it possible to take care of yourself and do what you need to do for medical school?
1: So when I was diagnosed with another chronic condition, I think that the biggest thing is that you don't have time to think about things. So you don't have time to, like, you don't have time to suddenly stop and realize, oh, I should be looking after myself. So it's really like about being proactive. I think I study when I'm feeling well enough to study. And I think that that gets me. A lot further than like when I was procrastinating studying there is no procrastination in chronic illness because you can't like you can't uh, rely on yourself to feel well enough to cram or do that kind of thing so like time management has been huge but I think it's also like anyone in medical school (laughs) will tell you like you're never going to know everything the fire hose analogy is real sometimes we have I mean, right now I'm studying for an exam that's just on everything we've learned in medicine. So the reality that I'll know all of that is low. Um, it's about just, I think, really prioritizing time. I can't say that enough. Yeah,
0: it's so hard. what What's the uh, What's been the biggest surprise of medical school for you?
1: Um, <laughs> the biggest surprise of medical school itself would have been when I was diagnosed with diabetes this past January. Um, so that was, I guess, like, probably the, obviously the turning, or I don't know, it's been a challenge in med school that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um in terms of changing like my priorities and my time management it's again just like a whole new thing to learn about but it's kind of it's kind of interesting like how much better you get at managing chronic illness and so when this happened it happened completely out of the blue I was not feeling great but I'd sort of just worked that up to being in medical school and being halfway through my second <laughs> Which <is common>.
0: year. <laughs> it's common. You're reading books going, I have this, I have this, I have this.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and so we were in our first, sem- or our winter semester, we were doing um, our first module was endocrinology. And part of that, we did like a full day diabetic workshop. And so we talked about like insulin dosing. We talked about a bunch of different things, but the one thing that we did Partway through the day was we all got to check our blood sugars using the little glucometer and see how that worked, which should be super fun as a group of healthy medical students. Um, but my sugars came up at over 300 American <laughs> numbers. That's so that's not good. <laughs> so like the I think the highest American that we would have accepted is like just under or just over 200 would have been within normal limits. Yeah um for not fasting but that was definitely not within normal limits the nurse who was doing it was sort of excited I'll say carefully because she thought that it was an opportunity to talk to us about how if you have sugar on your fingers your sugars will be high mm. um so she had me go wash my hands and I came back and my sugars were higher <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't help um and that was a really like a rough day if you think med school's hard try studying for diabetes when you're being diagnosed with diabetes it was right at the end of our module and my whole life was consumed with this new thing that wasn't even diagnosed yet the nurse just told me like go see your doctor as soon as possible and left it at that not reassuring (laughs) and Honestly, in that moment, I decided that my health had to come before medical school. And so I made my doctor's appointment. It was going to be during class. I didn't care. (laughs) Um, And I spoke with the Office of Student Affairs, which is just like the support for students within the university, like that weekend right away um, to sort of start getting things rolling for the support that I might need. And if I needed a med withdrawal, which I didn't.
0: Yeah, that's good. Not, not needing a med withdrawal. is good. I mean, plenty of people take them and they come back and they do just fine, but it's always nice oh. to get through the process.
1: I think that's another common misconception is that people don't take time off once they start yeah. medicine. Uh, my best friend just had a baby, so she's taking a year off, which is super exciting. Um, and I have like three other friends who have taken time off for a variety of reasons. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely is, is much more common than, than people want to make it out to be or, or assume it isn't. So it's definitely, it's, it's interesting. I think I think the biggest thing to understand for for a lot of students, just from a a medical school perspective is once you're in, they want to keep you there. And whether you fail a test and you got to work through that, or you need to take a break because you're having a baby or you have a health issue, whatever the, the far, far, far majority of schools are going to be ones that are going to be like, yep, we'll see you next year. No problem.
1: Exactly. And I think where students run into trouble is when they aren't, Communicating as much as they need to be to be getting the support that they need. Yeah, Um, good point. Whenever I talk to pre pre meds anytime or high school students, it's like the help is there if you know to ask for it and if you're able to ask for it. Um, And like I know people who have had to take years off because they just sort of everything snowballs and it's too late to get as much help as you need. Whereas if you sort of got the help earlier, I think it's more proactive and you just end up in a better place. Yeah.
0: Definitely. What is your goal now being a a medical student and patient? uh, What is your goal moving forward to kind of enlighten the medical world on the patient side of things as well? Do you have any any aspirations there?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think especially being a Female and being diagnosed with chronic pain, and then also having a diagnosis of diabetes a little later on, I've really experienced a lot of stigma from other healthcare providers as well as from the general community. Um, But even when I was diagnosed with diabetes this year, it's amazing to hear sort of the misconceptions that are out there, the stereotypes, even within the medical community. Mm. And I think that if we can aim, like, my goal is to obviously provide excellent patient care, but I also really want to work with people and work with um, educational like systems to help it make it easier for students with diverse perspectives to be successful in medicine mm-hmm. um, because it's totally possible, but it is harder. So there's sort of some things that need to be figured out for people.
0: Yeah. What's one piece of advice you think you wish you would have gotten earlier?
1: I think just having more confidence that despite all of the things that go wrong along the way, they'll make you a better doctor. So to just take them in stride as much as possible. Obviously, it's not always possible. Yeah,
0: yeah it definitely is uh, it's something that's important to, to keep doing. For the students listening to this here in the States, what's potentially something that you want them to know about Canadian healthcare and, and everything you guys are doing up there?
1: Um, I, you know, like Canadian healthcare has its flaws for sure. Um, especially in terms of, I guess like I just, I would want Americans to know that it's not universal healthcare isn't actually universal. So we speak really highly of Canadian healthcare, and it is great. I can go to the hospital whenever I need to, but it doesn't cover everything. And so some things actually end up being more expensive up here. Um, but it's a different system to work in. I think I would prefer to work in the Canadian system than the American system, um, just because of the single payer billing, which is super nice.
0: Yeah. Do you have an example of what may cost more up there? <laughs>
1: Well, I think my diabetes supplies are a fantastic example um, because in the States, a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of times things are covered um, through your private insurance plans that don't end up covered through Canadian insurance plans. Mm. So things like insulin pumps aren't covered for adults really ever, except for in two provinces. Um, My continuous glucose monitor isn't covered at all. I get 10 test strips a day covered for Mm. um, finger pricking, which is not very many.
0: When yeah, like for so it's, good. Diabetic it's a control. very it's a very common stereotype, which which is true a lot of times around these universal healthcare systems, is that they'll pay for the care, but they won't pay for the convenience or technology. Um, is is a big difference. But like, you can have your insulin and you can inject yourself all the time, and we're not going to pay for that fancy pump. That's not needed.
1: Exactly. And I think that that is one of the biggest problems is just like you don't get the more current or like the, even though things like continuous glucose monitors are shown to reduce uh, cost long term yeah. for emergency costs, um, it's hard to convince the government that the initial cost is worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when when new medications come out, I know. Um there's there's a, a new gene therapy that was just approved a few months ago here in the States that costs $2.1 million. One-time gene therapy that is um approved here in the States, but Canada isn't approving it because there's another medication for the same disease, but it's it's a, a spinal tap injection that uh happens every four months, I believe. Um here in the states, it's three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year for that medication. Uh, I, I'm sure it's cheaper in Canada because Canada yeah. can negotiate prices for drugs that we can't. But um, but yeah, but Canada's like no, like we have this other one. We don't need the two point one million dollar one. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. uh, uh, it's there's pros and cons as you, as you said at the beginning.
1: Exactly. I it, it yeah. There is no. Like there's no perfect way, but the drug coverage in Canada, like something that we're fighting for as medical students through the Federation of Medical Students of Canada is universal health coverage so that we can sort of stop those decision trees from happening. I know like in order to get a more expensive drug covered, physicians have to go through the worse options first, mm-hmm. um, which can be really problematic, especially like at the Type two diabetes treatment in Canada drives me crazy because we give people a drug first that essentially just wears out their pancreas faster before we're willing to go to the better drugs, and that's because of how the funding structure is.
0: Yeah, that's that's not too uncommon <laughs> here in the states too. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, it's all about money at the end of the day. Uh, here, here it's the the drug the drug companies and insurance companies trying to make the most money. And in Canada, and that's where like philosophically, like I'm okay with Canada restricting some things because they're trying to save money uh, to be able to pay for everyone. Whereas the insurance companies are trying to save money to pay their shareholders. (laughs) It's a little different. Totally.
1: Insulin prices are insane in the States. I cannot understand them. Like when people are buying things out of pocket, it's not that expensive. It's when insurance companies are involved, but you're yep. looking at thousands of dollars. Yeah. Insulin's never affordable in the States. But
0: I, I live in Colorado where we have an amazing governor and he capped insulin at $100 a month out of pocket uh, last Good. year, I think. Uh, so... We'll see. Lots of changes on the forefront uh, for for the U.S. healthcare system. But I, I'm glad you came on and shared your story and shared your resilience and getting through this process and getting into a Canadian school. Is there anything else we need to, to touch on before we, we go?
1: I just want to say again, like, that I really want more patients to become doctors. So... That's where I want
0: to end it <laughs> Yeah, because awesome. it's so needed. Yeah, but. it's definitely needed. At the end of the day, the, the word that comes to mind for me is empathy, right? And physicians who aren't patients, who have never been patients, who don't have family members who are patients, it's much harder for them to empathize with what their patients are going through.
1: Definitely, especially in the earlier years, I think, um, when things are like that fire hose is coming at you.
0: All right. There you have it. Again, Vicky sharing her story of Triumph in getting into medical school and then getting through medical school as well. Obviously still a medical student now, but she's getting through what she's getting through and and seems like she's having fun doing it. So hopefully some words of encouragement for those of you out there suffering with your own illnesses, with your own issues, that there is hope for you on this journey. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.